Welcome to the Trucker's Mind Podcast. I'm Eddie McGee. It's your boy K Fings. We're back, man. Episode 156. Yeah. Six? Mm-hmm. 156. We're back. Mm-hmm. All right, man. We'll get right into it. I'm going to pass it over to Keith. Yeah. So um, basically, this on, on March 1st, my, un- my uncle Jerome uh, passed away. He was uh, essentially stabbed. Um, I think he got stabbed in his lung, and I think he uh, he bled out after that. Um, but uh, this past uh, Saturday, we had a funeral for him, and you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to get too dark as far as like the conversation goes. But I just wanted to speak about my experience as far as like um, you know how I was feeling and my emotions and, and and whatnot as far as the funeral goes, because I think you know, the conversation can help a lot of people. And, um, I, I made a discovery about myself, um, while I was at the funeral. Um, so not to make it too long, um, we get out there, the, the funeral was in Tulare and, uh, Tulare and Visalia, like that's the area that I grew up in and, and where most of my family still is. So, um, we get out there and, you know, we get to the funeral and it, you know, just starting off, it was, it was amazing because I got to see a lot of family and a lot of family got together that I hadn't seen together in a very long time. Like sometimes you'll get, excuse me, you'll get like Thanksgivings and Christmases and stuff like that, where it'll be like the people that can make it, make it, you know what I mean? But I have, I have family, I have a cousin in Italy because her husband is in the military. I got family in, you know, Maryland and, you know, New York that, so everybody just kind of like spread all across the, the, the country for the most part and even the world. Um, but I, I would say like the majority of people that can make it made it. So that was, that was the great thing about it. Um, so we get there and everybody's talking, catching up. Um, you know, it's, it, you, you get the general questions like, Hey, so what are you doing with your life now? And you know, it's, for me, it's always like a hard conversation to have. It's just like, well, I do a, I do a little bit of this and this, and you know, I do some internet stuff and all this kind of stuff. So that was, you know, cool. Just kind of catching up and seeing everybody. Right. And then like, so we're just standing outside in the parking lot, chopping it up, and then it started to get real because the hearse pulls up. So the guy in the hearse pulls up, he back in, backs in, and then like you know the people from the church, they invite us over, and um, you know it's COVID time, so you got, you got to get our uh, temperature our temperature check, mask. yeah, mm-hmm. make sure you're wearing your mask and stuff like that. So that was the thing. It was kind of weird, you know. Just like, that was the first funeral that I've ever been to where it was like that. That was like part of the protocol. Excuse me. So that was a that was a thing. So you know, eventually everybody gets in there. I was a pallbearer, so you know they let the fa- they let the um, they let the family in, the immediate family in first, and then they let the um, the siblings in, and then they roll everybody else in, and then at the end the pallbearers kind of go in there and sit down. Um, and then you know uh, one of the the, the the funeral was at a church, so there's a biblical slash Christian aspect to it. So the first lady that got up there, she read a couple scriptures which was, you know, normal. And, you know, they, they talk about life and, you know, the meaning of death and, you know, why, um, you know, these type of things are important and whatnot. And then eventually she, she starts to go into like personal stories, like Tulare and Visalia and, you know, Eddie, you know, you got family in Wasco and whatnot. So we know how those small, yeah, those small towns are. Everybody know each other, especially my family, because their last name is Parker and my grandma had 15 kids. So, she, you know, she she got ties to every niche of Tulare slash Visalia. And um, so the lady gets up there and talks and then she like goes into this personal story. And she's talking about like my Uncle Jerome, like, 
you know, basically saying like she was going through without getting into too much detail on her part. She didn't get into too, too much detail, but she was basically saying like she was in a relationship with a person that wasn't very um, good for her at the time. And she was saying like my uncle Jerome had a lot of uh, she was he was just a very timely person in her life. Like she had he had the ability to smile at her and, you know, just brighten up her day. He, he did the smallest stuff as far as like taking out the trash for her or, you know, just showing up, you know, when situations got a little bit tense and stuff like that. So that brought me a, a, a level of comfort because um, prior to going into it, I hadn't had like a relationship. I wouldn't even say a great relationship with him because I don't have a, a bad relationship with him. Right. I just didn't have a relationship, a very uh, extensive relationship with him because he's um, a lot older. Um, and then he also just kind of, I would say like the world just took him, you know what I mean? Right. So he wasn't very present at a lot of the family functions and stuff like that. Um, I know who he is and he, you know, he is my uncle and we do have like a, um, a small history together, but we don't have, I don't have like very extensive memories of him. So part of going into that funeral, it felt kind of weird because I didn't have the history like, you know, his kids or some of um, my other, you know, uh, cousins that live there in Tulare or some of his siblings, you know. So I think for me going into it, I was more so there for for moral support for my mom and right. uh, for my grandma and his daughter and stuff like that. But when I get there, like all these stories started to roll out, like, you know, people, his, his, uh, his nieces, his nephews, his sisters, you know, my aunts was telling stories about him pulling up to school when, you know, she would get into a fight or um, uh, um, my brother would tell him, uh, tell my brother Desmond told a story about how, you know, he just taught him how to just be a man and to, to just have the ability to kind of press on when times get tough. And all these stories started to roll out and it just brought a smile to my face, like almost like an uncontrollable smile. Like, man, this is like I just feel almost amazing to even be related to per, to a person that has had the ability to touch so many people's lives in a positive way. Right. So we're going through, you know, the whole funeral and they do the slideshow and it just brought so many memories and so many emotions and emotions. It was times where I just felt like, Oh, I'm good. And then next thing you know, a picture pops up or somebody tells a story and I'm just kind of crying uncontrollably. And then, uh, that it was just, it was just like a beautiful celebration and it was an amazing way for kind of people to kind of cap his life off. So all of that happens. And then, um, that was a point where the casket was closed the whole time. And I guess what had happened, what I found out afterwards is they asked my cousin if she would like to open the, um, to the casket so people can go up and, you know, set, pay their last respects. So, she told her, uh, the lady, she was like, no, I don't, I'm not going to make that decision. You can ask my grandma. So my grandma, um, said, yeah, like, you know, open it up. And to me, that was amazing because, um, just the strength that a woman has to have to be like, I want to view my son, you know what right, I mean? Like right. it's, it's, it's difficult for her to be there. And I could see it was an emotional struggle for her to even walk into the, to the church. But for her to say that, I just thought that was, you know, showed, you know, amazing strength. So I commend her for that. So that happens. And, you know, the family is sitting in the front and they let the um, the friends and, you know, the, um, I guess, associates from the back see the see the body first. And for me, I was like, I made a decision while I was there because I remember 
uh, my dad, when my great grandma had passed away, um, he made a decision not to go to the funeral. So mm-hmm. I made a conscious effort. I was like, I want to feel every emotion that comes with being here. Right. I'm not running for nothing. I'm not trying to protect myself. I'm not trying to prevent my, myself from crying or whatever. I want to feel every every bit of uh, what's going on. So as uh, the people from the back started to go up, you know, I'm just, you know, mentally preparing myself to see it. And I'm just like making this conscious effort. Like, yo, I'm gonna go up there. I'm gonna look him in the face and it, whatever I feel at that moment, like it is, it's going to be what it's going to be. Right. Yeah. So we trickle up and finally the pallbearers, we know we're sitting on this left side and they finally, the, the guy tells us like, Hey, you're going to come up. And then, um, uh, right after you do the viewing, sit back down. Cause we have to carry the casket out to the, to the hearse. Right. So I go up there and then um, I'm just standing there and I'm waiting for my turn. And I kind of I try to avoid actually seeing him until I'm actually at the casket. So I walk up there and, you know, like I said before, the, the, the woman was basically saying like, you know, his smile. It was every person that um, went up there and told a story was like his smile brightened up my day. He had a super ear to ear smile when I seen him or I seen him out and about. He just smiled and all, all these things, this 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 kind of theme of him smiling um, was through the course of almost everybody's story, right? So, and it would, it just played out like a movie for me almost. It was just such, such a weird experience. So when I actually walk up to the casket and I look him in the face, he was smiling and he just looked, he looked such, he looked so at peace and it just brought like tears to my eyes because I was like, man, like, that's like the perfect way to go out. You know what right. I mean? Like some, the, everybody that goes up to the mic is like, man, this man just has such a beautiful smile. And then when he laid to rest, like he just was in there smiling. Right. So I just sat down and I took everything in and I, it was just like it was just an, an an amazing, like emotional roller coaster. And like I said before, I just made this conscious effort to make sure I felt every emotion possible in that building and afterwards I just felt so much better um just knowing that and I think everybody you know felt so much better um you know because the week was a struggle because we had to we had to put together the funeral in only like 12 days so you know it was stressful for everybody you right. know to pick the church pick the the, the things that we're going to be wearing my mom had to sew ties and you know I had to put together the um I had to put together the program and all these different things so right. you know just all that stress was just kind of released. And I think that that seeing that smile at the end of the funeral was kind of like the perfect capsule to just, you know, send him off to, you know, his final resting place. So um, I just say that to say like anybody out there, like don't try to run from emotions because emotions are um, what make us human beings. And they always say like, you know, we don't know what happiness is until, you know, we know what sadness is. And I, I genuinely felt that on that day where it was like, and you see how they're so intertwined, you know what I mean? Like how right. me being sad and me being happy was just like, like it was like this fine line. And um, I just say like anybody out there, like if you feel like crying, just cry, don't hold that in. And yeah, you know, no. you had an experience or you, you told a story, you know, when your, when your boy had passed about somebody that was just holding back those tears. Right. But genuinely, genuinely, you're going to feel so much better just letting out those emotions rather than just holding them in. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, showing emotion or crying fast tracks the process. Yeah. I think that when you allow yourself to feel in that moment, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's and it's the thing about it too is for me um inevitably i have to face the fact that within the next one to three years i'm going to be burying my own father so Mm -hmm. you know not only mentally preparing yourself for these moments but actually allowing yourself to feel is very important Mm -hmm. you know especially as men a lot of times men feel like being vulnerable um it makes them weak and it's Mm -hmm. like that that's bullshit i think that you know you you have to face things in order to face things. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. You know, that the only way you move forward is by acknowledging what's really going on mm-hmm. in the real world. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I shit, I don't even know if it's been a No, it hasn't been a year yet since mm-hmm. I buried my buried our grandfather. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being there and allowing myself to feel and crying, it was more or less, you know, when you're at a funeral, you're reflecting on a person's book, mm-hmm. believe it or not. A person passing away is the last chapter of their book. Yeah. So when you're sitting there at a funeral service for somebody that you love and care about, you're just playing this shit in your mind. All the moments you had when you played kickball or when they took you out to dinner or when you laughed or when you watched football. All these memories are just flashing in your mind 100 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes you have those emotions and cry because this connection that someone had while they were here Mm -hmm. this is why i think it's important as well because like keith mentioned that the showing of the body people get really emotional when the showing of the body happens in the church and it's not just because the the family member or the person you cared about and loved you're seeing them in that way and they're dead it's because you also personalize that situation because in that moment, you question your mortality, mm-hmm. you know, a person that you cared about that much. And now you're like, fuck, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We in a way, in a strange way, we all see ourselves in that casket because yeah. that's inevitably what's going to happen. But we also, like I mentioned, we, we reflect on that book and that um, that that I won't say aura or that energy that the person left behind is really what gets to us. Yeah, um, I would just strongly encourage everyone to. Work on um, work on leaving a legacy because we're all going to go one day. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned it many times um, and you can you can affect people on this planet while not even being alive. If you do enough while you are alive. Yeah, because when this when you're gone, everyone at that funeral, they're going to be having these stories about you. They're going to be mm-hmm. talking about how much you've done for them and all these things. And it may sound selfish, but. It's not selfish if you can have that type of impact on someone's life. Yeah. I think for me, like going piggybacking off what you were saying, like it um, it brought me a little bit of comfort about death. Ironically. Right. Yeah. Right. Because like you were you were saying, like, you know, when you see that person in, your, in that casket, you you almost see yourself in that casket. Right. And um, I was just walking to my car um uh, last late last night after the uh, the repass and stuff like that, and I was like, I was like, I think for the first time in my life, um, as a twenty nine year old man, not that I want to die, not that I'm you know right. I, I want to live a long life, mm-hmm. but the idea of death is not as scary as it once was. One hundred percent. And then also on top of that, in in sort of like a, a egotistical way, when I was sitting there, um, kind of like you were saying, it's like, yo, I I wonder. Like how many people would show up to my funeral? Like I was just thinking about all my friends and, you know, just the different experiences and, you know, even going back to like, you know, the people that I've helped or done different things. Like I was like, yo, like what what kind of stories would 
people tell at my funeral, what they mention, like my smile or what they mention, you know, I helped him help them do this or something like that. And then just also just thinking about, you know, how many people would show up. And like I said, just the different stories they would tell. So it was it was like this strange like and and I was telling Eddie this. It was like a, a like a roller coaster of emotions. And, you know, he was basically saying, like, that's that's normal for a funeral. Like you're going to think about. Yeah, there's gonna be a million thoughts going through your head at, at one time, and um, yeah, it was just it was uh, it was just one of those those weird things where you kind of like do put yourself in a casket and like you just kind of play you know like hypothetically you know what would happen um, in in this situation. So yeah, I think we plan for everything except death. Mm-hmm. I think that um, you know oh next month. We need to go to that new restaurant over there. Oh, and in three years, we'll be we'll be able to go to Egypt or oh, we'll go to France. Here's mm-hmm. the problem. You might die before then. Mm-hmm. You I mean, let's be realistic here. Mm-hmm. You know, you might plan in the next three months to go to Jamaica, but you might die before then. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that we don't consider these things. We look at death as, oh, don't talk about that. I don't want to think about it. I'm not saying you should think about it. I'm just saying that it is a v- extremely realistic, um, very realistic outcome, mm-hmm. you know, especially with where the world is now. But look here, I don't want to uh, beat uh, this subject down. Uh, for all of you that listen, I just want you to make sure you cherish the people in your life, whether it's your wife, your husband, your moms, your uncles, whoever, and try your best to leave an impact on the people around you. Yeah. Because you can spark change in other people's lives, even when you're not here. Yeah. You know, focus on becoming your higher self, because when your day comes, you're going to affect a lot of people, whether you realize it or not. I think um, one last thought um, that I realized I made this discovery like a while back with, you know, just dealing with different family members, but not as a, as a human being, no one is all good and no one is all bad. hundred percent. And, um, that's something, like I said, that I had to come to terms with a few years ago, but once you get to that place and you realize that your relationship with people, um, and that, that, uh, that person on the other end of that relationship is just a human being and they have flaws and they have, you know, different emotions and they have different traumatic experiences that they have dealt with in, in their life. Um, and that's what makes them a human being. I think it, it brings um, us as the individuals that are receiving, um, I guess, the short end of the stick on, on, in some aspects of some re- um, relationships. I think... Um, once you figure that out, then I think you'll be in a much better place about your different relationships. So True. I say that to say as far as like my uncle goes, he had um, his different struggles and he was fighting his own demons. But on his final day, he the way the way the situation played out, he did a good deed. Um, right. he, he was almost a superhero in that in a certain aspect because he was at the cemetery and at the cemetery, there was somebody walking around bothering people. So um, he basically approached a dude and was like, yo, can you leave these people alone? They're trying to, you know. Grieve. Uh, rem- yeah, they're trying to grieve and they're trying to remember their whomever in peace. Um, and I guess the dude walked off or whatever and a situation happened and he came back and stabbed him. So I just say that to say like. When a person dies, it's never the right time to try to bring up the lowest parts of their life. 
You know what I mean? We have to obviously that's something that we that that we can't uh, really forget. But if you have some great moment with any person that has wronged you by uh, in any sort of way, just try to hold on to that that positive aspect of it. Um, right. And that's what I learned um, at that funeral as well. Definitely, man. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Switching gears. Um, Kirk Franklin. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with Kirk Franklin. He is a, a gospel artist or gospel artist. You, if anybody heard that song, makes me clap my hands and stomp. What preacher say? Stomp. That nigga Eddie butchered that, but it's cool. <laughs> what, what I did? It says makes me clap my hands. I think it says makes you want to dance and yeah. then it says stomp. Stomp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, uh, he's a gospel artist, and uh, he had a pretty rough exchange with his son. And we'll insert the clip right here. Up a piece of paper. Is that a threat? All right. What you took from that clip is a very uh, is a very crazy situation. Um, highly volatile. Um, <laughs> we don't know what really caused that to happen, but his son recorded the call, and you heard him like, "I fucking break your neck!" Like <laughs> it, it's crazy because I thought he was about to. He said it sounded like one of the intros to one of yeah. the songs. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself when I hear my Lord Jesus. <laughs> I thought he was going to break. The devil, up. you in trouble now? I'm about to break your neck. <laughs> Makes me wanna break. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, I'll beat your ass. <laughs> I'm gonna put in your hat. I'm gonna put my foot in your ass in the name of Jesus. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Kirk Franklin? <laughs> oh, you thought I was playing, huh? You thought I was playing about that pussy, huh? Throw that ass back in the name of Jesus. Oh, that- <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Like, I rebuke you, devil. <laughs> Get out of my son. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a pretty fucked up situation. His son's 33 years old. Yeah. I think multiple things are true about this situation. I think that... Um, I think that Kurt Franklin's human. I mean, he's assumed the role of a gospel singer and people think he's a holy man. And I think we've put our expectations on people like Kurt Franklin and we're like, oh, he never curses and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But he never claimed to be perfect. He had many things he said about himself. Didn't he said he was addicted to porn and whatnot? Yeah, he has a lot of interviews where he's talking about how, like I said before, he's a human being. He, you know, he's not all good and he's not all bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the thing about it is he never made himself out to be an angel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but his son, to be 33 years old and record your dad, and then you're also being disrespectful while doing it, like, well, fuck you then, bitch, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll beat your skinny ass. Like, mm-hmm. you brought out the worst side. You could tell that he was bringing out the worst side of his dad. 
Just pushing his buttons. Pushing huh? his buttons. And I we think all, and we all know how to push our dad's buttons. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it ain't a whole lot of button pushing that needs to be pressed. <laughs> <laughs> that button is already halfway. <laughs> that button's already <laughs> fucking halfway down. Was, yeah. Yeah, you mm-hmm. did. Yeah, but I, I just think that it's pretty fucked up that if you're a grown man and you're recording your dad, I can't take what I take what you say with a grain of salt because we live in a generation where um people will post screenshots or they will post um audio clips but the problem with this is 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 you got to realize you will never look good trying to make someone else look bad how many times have i said this on this podcast many times mm-hmm. right and that's what his, that's what he was attempting to do he was trying to make his dad look bad yeah but in the process people are seeing that this motherfucker is 33 years old recording his dad i think that kirk franklin's pretty pretty well off right and maybe his son's a spoiled fucking brat and he might have cut his son off like hey you need to get a job or you need to get that's the problem with a lot of kids that come from uh privileged parents or privileged kids that come from rich parents is they'll be in their 30s still asking their parents for fucking money Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's the situation or not i have no idea but i would assume that a 33 year old man that's recording his dad may be financially dependent i'm just saying Mm -hmm. because i don't i mean Look, a lot of times as a father and son, you have some pretty fucked up exchanges. I've had some with my dad that have not been great. Mm-hmm. Right. And it sucks. Yeah. But the problem, too, is, is like at the end of the day, my pops know I'm a man. I'm not going to record the fucking call. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. That's what the, whatever me and my dad got going on. If we had an argument or whatever, that's between us. Mm-hmm. Like he my dad, but we both still grown men. I got no reason to be like, hey, look at what my dad texted me. Look at what he left me. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think too like um whatever that situation is, you you don't get anything outside of no. um when you put that on the internet. Um the only thing that I can see that you would benefit from that is to quote unquote expose his father. Right. But outside of that, I just don't understand why this is even even a thing. And it that that the only the best way to solve this situation in you know in, in Kirk Franklin's um response or uh his apology to the situation he talked about them getting on the phone with the therapist and he was right. basically saying my son didn't post that thing so yeah the the if you really wanted to get this issue figured out you would have leaned more towards that like if you did even if you recorded that and you was like hey i just need to talk about this or get, get this figured out if you right. shared that with your therapist and it was like hey you know, what could I have done in this situation to, you know, not go crazy or not, you know, be such high emotions in that time? I can understand that. But just the idea of like um, recording that at all, I just don't understand. I don't understand why you would even do that. And then sharing it on Instagram. Like, come on now. Yeah. I Look, it, to me, it's just kind of weird how he kind of could like switch kind of like um, I don't want to say cold switch, but he could go from being the gospel singer. Can you imagine him do- doing that on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. Like, all right, now he says he's talking to somebody from the congregation. He's like, all right, now God bless you, sister. God bless you. You have a great day. All right, bye. He hangs up. Get in here, bitch. <laughs> clean these dishes up like I told you. In the name of Jesus, get your bitch ass in here and clean these dishes up. <laughs> People do that. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. Like. Um, the first thing that I thought of when I heard this was um, we have to um, it, even with the R. Kelly situation. Right. You know, they always talk about like separating the artist from the art and stuff like that. Separating the P from the artist. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, separating beef and artists. Uh, but <laughs> but with that with that situation, there there's still a lot of people that not his sexual stuff because I I don't really I think that's just a little bit strange because that sexual stuff is inspired by his actual relationships and whatnot. Right. But um, as far as like I believe I can fly and you know step in the name of love, these kind of like feel good songs. Right. I am I'm pretty much okay with like you kind of separating the artist from with those uh, songs. Yeah, with those songs specifically, just the feel good songs, not the sexual stuff. But um even with Kirk Franklin, you know, who, who I don't know his personal life, he could be a person that sipped alcohol and smoked weed and, you know, have strippers at his house every day. Um but all I know is like when I do hear those songs and especially me growing up in church, when I do hear those songs, I I it, Kirk Franklin is removed from the song. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think about Kirk Franklin's. I'm not listening to Stomp and thinking about like, dang man, I wonder what Kirk Franklin is doing today. Like, I'm True. only thinking about how yeah. that song, right. you know, makes me feel good. It makes you know, you know, you you hear growing up in my grandma's house and and um, you know, riding to church and stuff like that. So I just think like for people trying to expose Kirk Franklin or, right. or whatever, like at a certain point, you have to be like, yo, like. He has his personal life and then he's also doing these good things. And, you know, like in reference to what I was saying about my uncle, like he made people smile and he probably also did some, you know, some terrible things to people. Right. But I'm a lean on, especially in, in this certain time frame, I'm a lean on the smile part. So in Kurt Franklin's case, he says whatever to a son and maybe his son is a whole ass nigga. You never know. Yeah. So, you know, we gonna we still going to bump stomp like, you know, like it's a good song. Yo, people don't realize how big that record was, dog. Yeah, it was a gospel record that broke yeah, like, like trance. Uh, yeah, what they call it. Um, it was on like Billboard and shit. Mm-hmm. That was the year. That was we talking about. That came out in like '98, I think. Yeah, that's when like got, at that time like gospel music just overall was just like popping. Like I remember. Like we would play stuff like that at like functions. Yeah. Like it'd be Ice Cube and Dub C. They'd be talking about shooting people and crip walking, and then Stomp would come on, <laughs> and we still wouldn't stop crip walking. You, you know what's crazy though about especially going to a black function yeah. when when they got the playlist and the playlist don't is like mixed up, yeah. and it'd be like Ice Cube be like fuck a bitch, got whatever right. And then he get off, and then the next song. Uh, uh, what's it? Take me to <laughs> that's how it would be. <laughs> that's a real black function, especially like, in the nineties. What? Yeah. Oh man. And then what would happen too is they would do the re- like some gospel artists would do the remix to the secular music. Yeah. And then a lot of times I didn't even know like those was like different remixes. Like it was it was a I think it was a song by the Isley Brothers. That a gospel artist had remixed, or they did like a like a gospel version of that song. And for the longest time, I didn't even know that was an Isley Brothers song. And when I heard the original, I was like, "What? They stole yeah. this from such yeah. and such?" Yeah. yeah, they turned it into a gospel. I know you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, I think it's if I go on is that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a trip. Gospel music is a trip. It kind of like could blend in. Yeah. I want to hear like I want to hear like Kirk Franklin and Amigos. That'd be <laughs> Mama. <laughs> I think Kurt Franklin needed to just start making it. Can you imagine Christian music or gospel with cuss words in it? 
That'd be crazy. That'd be. I don't know if the world ready for that. The world ain't ready for that. <laughs> ain't ready for that. I always had this idea. I always thought that Kurt Franklin was like the Christian DJ Khaled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Like you got you got Kirk Franklin, and they'd be like, and they'd be like, he you do the intro, and be like, yeah. I just want to let y'all know about my Jesus, <laughs> and then make the stallion body yadi 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 yadi. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I just think this is hilarious because you just you never get to see these people. That's almost like um T D Jakes cursing somebody out. Yeah. You know how T D be sweating real bad? Mm-hmm. You fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. yeah, that'd be nuts, man. Mm-hmm. I remember somebody uh somebody uh they was I forgot who it was, but they was roasting somebody. And it was a big dude. They was like, you look like T.D. Cakes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's heck of funny. Yeah, I, I've never seen anyone in my life sweat more than T.D. Jakes. Yeah. That, like. I'm a sweater myself, so I got a lot of empathy towards T.D. Jakes. If, if it was any sin left in T.D. Jakes, he sweated. Out. <laughs> <laughs> he, he sweat that shit I think out. T.D. Jakes could be in a, Antarctica preaching and still be sweating. I've seen yeah. it early, early in his career. I don't know if he got like a compression shirt or something on underneath, but uh, he used to sweat through the suit. Yeah. Like he had pit stains under the suit. I'd be like, God dang, this nigga preaching his ass off. Yeah, I know. He's sweating <laughs> like a mug. The one I really don't see too much, the most calmest preacher is Joel Olstein. Mm-hmm. He's probably the most calm. Like, Jesus has a plan for your life. <laughs> and he had that weird smile. Like, I think Joel Osteen and Joe Biden smile the same awkward smile. Yeah. It's so weird. Joe Osteen got, like, a cult-like smile. Yeah. Like, one day he just going to be like, just drink the juice (laughs) and we're all going to heaven. (laughs) Niggas are going to be in there drinking Kool-Aid and dying and just dropping like flies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's like, what kind of drink is this? Oh, it's just Joel juice. <laughs> Joel juice. <laughs> That's you, the name of the pod. Joel <laughs> juice. <laughs> just take a sip of this. It'll be the last thing you ever drink. <laughs> oh, man. The last drink you'll ever need. Oh, man. The Joel Shout juice. out to Joel Osteen. Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Switching gears. The stimulus checks. Yeah, Re- stimmy. Recently, they just authorized these checks to be given out. Mm. Let me go ahead and go to the article. All right. All right. Uh, your third stimulus check, how much, when, and other frequently asked questions. By, uh, President, Biden, uh, President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package authorizes a third round of stimulus checks. Here's what you need to know about the third stimulus checks <laughs> you'll be getting soon if you qualify. The third stimulus check is finally on its way after... Weeks of back and forth waiting. Congress passed a new stimulus that includes the third round of stimulus checks, American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Uh, President Biden, I mean, you're not you're not rescuing any, anybody with that check. Anyways, uh, <laughs> President Biden signed a bill on March 11th, but uh, since several different amounts and restrictions were thrown around the negotiations, Americans still have a lot of questions about the third stimulus checks at the top of the list. How much will I get and when will I get it? All right, and it's showing that it's coming. Um, here's my opinion on it. I think that during um, the pandemic, the government showed you exactly what it can do for you. Nothing. Yeah. Okay, that's what the number one thing you learn about the government. People are hardcore. I'm liberal. I'm conservative. But liberals and conservatives came together and did nothing for you. 
Both sides. Both sides did mm-hmm. nothing. So it's like you sitting here, you a hardcore, you know. But here's the thing: the difference with the conservatives is like, I don't want a handout. Mm-hmm. Don't give me that fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, we don't need that. And it's like, bruh, people need the money, bro. Yeah, fourteen. Not, the, the the United States is not about you. There's the, facts. The, the first word in the, the phrase is united. You know, yeah. what I mean? it's not about you. True. But it starts with the you though, Keith. So there's an oh, argument. Damn. There's an argument in there, Keith. Flipped it on me. Yeah, yeah. You got to stop being so selfish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people need that fucking money, man. There's people that have been working odd jobs, been laid off. There's been people that lost their businesses. There's people where they all kind of shit is fucked up right now. Mm-hmm. They can use that fourteen hundred dollars to to catch up on bills. But the problem with it is, if once you pay them bills, they're gonna be due again. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's got, the, the one. Yeah, I got a mass text message from T-Mobile the other day saying this is uh this is the last month that they'll be allowing you to get free service. Like I've been paying my bill every month, but mm. it's people that still ain't paid a bill in a minute. Oh, dang! I didn't know that. Yeah, I should have lied to them niggas. That's the crazy. <laughs> <laughs> as bad as my service been with them lately. Yeah, step I it remember, up, T-Mobile. Step it up. I remember they were doing like um like rents um I guess forbearance or something like that. Okay. And I was even thinking about doing that, but then I realized like that probably was only in some cities across America because mm. like in Bakersfield the bills were still due, and even if the bills wasn't due, they were only pushing it to the end of you know your lease or something like that. It wasn't a thing to where they was gonna let you stay in spaces for right. you know rent free. So yeah. Yeah, man, I, I just think that this whole shit is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, in my personal opinion, I have a very middle of the pack opinion about it. Do I think that, you know, people should take COVID seriously? Yeah, you know, it's real, right? But we have enough information now to know that most people recover from this shit. Mm-hmm. Most people recover. Um, they got a vaccine out that more people are going to be taking. I say, let me see. March, April, May, June. I say by May or June, everything will be opened up. Mm-hmm. By May or June, they really won't have a choice. We can't be, you can't keep shit like closed down. This, it just doesn't make sense at this point no more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we got to get back to it. Like, for Christ's sake, we beat the Spanish flu. Well, we didn't beat it. It fucked us up, actually. Mm-hmm. Really bad. Millions of people died. Um, but we can make it through that, man. We can make it through anything. Because the mm-hmm. Spanish flu, that was a really fucked up time in yeah. American history. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just think that things need to start opening up. I think like 75% of like like restaurants in Los Angeles went down. That's a lot. It's man. a lot of people that's not really out there really getting something to eat. Losing a lot, losing of, money. A lot of money. Mm-hmm. I got a buddy that lost his gym. He, had a, he was the owner of a gym here locally. I'm not going to say what gym, but. Didn't he open up right before COVID? No, no, he been over oh, for years. Okay. okay. Yeah, um, I know there was one, a couple of spots that had to open up right before COVID like that. Yeah, but he had been he was open for years and then he didn't have the money to pay. And the person that owned the property was like, hey, I need my money regardless of what's going on. I know they shut you down, but I still need my money. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Yeah. And they ended up closing him down. And I seen him and I seen him in uh, Planet Fitness and he was actually out of shape. It's the first time I seen this motherfucker out of shape in like over. I don't even know how many years, probably like. What is that? Like 16 years. Like out of shape. Like what did he look like in comparison? Okay, let, let's be clear. This guy was a specimen. This guy was ripped, buff. He just he just looked like a fitness model. Mm-hmm. And now this motherfucker went from a fitness model to like almost couch potato status. Oh my gosh. Yeah, bro. I just I just felt sad for him because it fucked him his whole shit up. He just looked, he had a gut on him. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, 
God damn, that's crazy. Yeah, that's how you know people was depressed, bro. Like, yeah. He, and then he looked at me. He's like, oh, man, you look good, man. I was like, bro, I'm still trying to get my shit together. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, yeah, man, but you still ain't got no big stomach and shit. Like, you mm-hmm. you know, you're a truck driver, but you ain't fat and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's because I, I come to the gym and I at least try to work on myself. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got to get it together, man. I said, you're going to be all right. But he just looks so different. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, dude. dude. You don't realize how, you know, unless you see that image, how much people are affected by this whole lockdown. Um, I think <clears throat> what I was thinking about is like this, uh, this 1400 is just a bat, a bandaid on like a bullet wound or oh, something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? It's, and the, the thing about it is, you know, politicians are whatever, but I seen AOC, she was just so excited to announce what was going on. You're going to get $1,400. This is for, and then if you're, if you have kids, you're also going to get another, I think it was like, uh, 1400 mm-hmm. per kid and mm-hmm. up to $3,600 over the course of a few payments. Even if you're expecting, I think they put another clause in there. Like even mm-hmm. if you got a baby on the way, you could still get, uh, right. get some money and stuff like that. And I'm just like, why are you so excited just to pour money into the community? That, that makes politicians look good. That, that helps you get, right. um, you know, that helps you get voted in for the, the next election. Right. But we, we all know, and people that are really in the trenches, we all know that the problem is not, money the problem is resources the problem is education the problem is is jobs and or career the problem is like business like you know the lack of ownership in our community and stuff like that real estate you know like we can't our credit scores are so low we can't get no property that's like that's how we're we should fix the problem so when i see people so excited or when these politicians are getting up there like they're doing us a favor it's like not really no. like we pay so much in taxes throughout the year like you pretty much owe us this kind of money oh uh, yeah um so yeah for me i was just like oh cool fourteen hundred dollars and you know maybe in 2010 when i was like 18 19 years old i would have been like yo this is a this is fourteen hundred like this is dope but now at this point in my life and i was texting eddie this i was like i don't mean to sound ungrateful but at the same time like if you really want to move the needle give somebody like 50k and right. if they got a bit, if they write out a business plan or somebody or something like that, and you can submit that to the government or whatever, give somebody fifty thousand dollars because that's the only way we really gonna make our way out of poverty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think like the equivalent to what the government is doing is like it's almost like giving a homeless person a sandwich and be like, "Yay, I did my deed for the day. I feel good." And then they post it on Instagram. That's the yeah. worst part. Then they post it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So then after the homeless person finished eating the sandwich, they're still fucking homeless, and now they're hungry again. Exactly. So it's, I mean, pretty much it's the equivalence. I don't want to have a false equivalency between mm-hmm. the two, but it's kind of the same thing mm-hmm. because a lot of people in America are one paycheck away from being on the fucking streets right now. Yeah. If we're being a hundred percent honest, mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't able to pay their bills. Luckily, I've been. I, luckily, I have a job that's COVID proof. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a job that were. I mean, the, the America needs trucks to move. So luckily I have a job where I can move. But imagine a guy that's the breadwinner that can't take care of his fucking family anymore. I mean, can, thanks for giving the fourteen hundred dollars. But if you have a big family, that's just one night out in the town. You know, yeah, there's a lot. I, I know a lot of people that have huge expenses, like right. the car payment might be five hundred. They rent might be nine hundred um, in insurance. So that. That's zapped in a matter of days yeah. for some people. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's like, it's crazy the luxuries that people have. Like, I think about it too. Like, 
like last night I took this chick out. We had some tacos and shit, just chilled. Mm-hmm. But think about how many dudes that lost their jobs don't even have the convenience to take a woman out. Yeah. Cause they ain't got no fucking money. Yeah. That shit is crazy. But you gotta really think about that. Like mm-hmm. that a lot of their a lot of people's personal lives have, have been foiled by this situation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty fucked up. But yeah, man. just hang on in there, people. If you're hearing this podcast and you're going through some fucked up shit, you know, you're not alone. A lot of America's going through it, man. Mm-hmm. And I and but by the way, I'm not telling anyone how to use their money. Some people are saying you should take that fourteen hundred dollars and invest. Don't try to sound smart, buddy. Yeah. Don't try to sound smart right now. Invested in what? Like $1,400 is not a lot of money. If you have a real, let's say, for example, you have a merch or you have some type of idea that's small. Okay, that makes sense. But don't be at a position of privilege telling people what to do with their money. Yeah. I I think, too, like what you're saying and to kind of like double down on that point, it's like there are people like the Ben Shapiro's of the world that like to speak to people that are not as privileged as them right. as if they are as privileged as right. they are. True. Um, so if you, if, if uh, talking about this $1,400 check, like if you're telling somebody like, Hey, you should go invest this money and put it in the stock market in a year. So you'll double it. Um, they need the money now. Yeah. <laughs> I need my money and I need it now. Uh, so it's like, it's one of those things like you can't, you can't speak to somebody that is in right. debt about right. investing. You know what I mean? It's, it has to be a, a different conversation. If you want to, yeah. if anything, I would say, you know, if you do, if you can't afford to invest it, then you should. But right. at the same time, I think the best thing that anybody can do is use that money for educational purposes, whether mm. that's like some self-help books or it, and, and another thing also is that it doesn't always have to be financial. Like True. if there's a uh, if there's a book out there that can help you with your mental health, like you so much more valuable just being clear headed on a day to day basis or knowing how to navigate through certain depressions and anxiety and all these things. You're so much more valuable to the world or even like just, you know, just books about communication or even if you're not going to invest that money, if you want to get a um, audio book on um on investing, you know what I mean? All these things right. can be um, equally as beneficial. And all these things, knowledge is more uh, powerful than in, than any money can ever be. So, yeah, um, man, look here, dude. I, as far as this shit goes, do your best with the $1,400 as you can. I don't have any directions, dude. Mm-hmm. I don't because it's only $1,400, yeah. you know, but it is help. So you don't want to sound ungrateful, mm-hmm. but here we go. Well, you know what's funny about uh, Biden? Biden went from fucking, oh, God, like, thank goodness we got Biden in here now. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, everybody that voted for Biden, right? I mean, I voted for Biden. I'm not proud of that, but I did. Mm-hmm. But anyways, mm-hmm. <laughs> it went from, oh, Biden won to... Where's my check, old man? Yeah. You know, <laughs> they wanted him to act gen. Well, whenever he was, was it January 1st? Yeah, but he was talking all that shit about Trump and it took mm-hmm. him a minute to do it himself. Yeah. He's talking about these checks should have been out, blah, blah, blah. It just shows how manipulative a lot of politicians are. But you know? also, yeah, that, that they, you know, they, they, they're acting like there's no actual process to getting things right. passed. Like, right. just be honest. If you was just like, we're going to get these out as soon as possible, we're, tr- we're going to try to push it through, you know, the House and the Senate or whatever. 
Yeah. That that sounds more fair to somebody than True. you know January second. You're gonna have checks on your front door. Like, yeah. You know. What I was gonna say too, and to your point, investing in something is a privilege because the thing about it is, if you can invest in something, then you don't you don't need it. You you don't need it at that moment, mm-hmm. and you can wait on the ROI. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The ROI is not that big of a, a deal to you right there because yeah. you have the patience and you have the capital to wait. Yeah. You have the patience. But if I give you $1,400 and all I got is $1,400, I need the ROI now. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about like tomorrow. tomorrow. I no, need, you need it, it now. now. Today, yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you, when you're broken, you have no resources, you have no money. Okay, let me be clear before we move on. If you get $1,400 and you're a person that lives in a, in a, you know, a lower, lower area, you don't, your credit's fucked up, you, know, you were born into a, a world of people who were not financially literate, all these things, and you have nothing, you have no real information. You can't invest shit. You don't even know what to invest in. You don't mm-hmm. even know where to start. Mm-hmm. You don't have a portfolio. You don't have nothing. Yeah. Then so, you're going to pull up a YouTube video and somebody going to give you the wrong information. Yeah. And then you're going to do that and then you're going to lose all your fucking money. Yeah. It's easy to get scammed when you don't have information. Yeah. That's yeah. facts. But yeah. yeah, just I think, you know, do what you can with this fourteen hundred dollars and don't. And it's not no celebration. This is not I'm not, you know, I I don't think this uh, whole, you know, Biden Biden approval rating should go up for this or no. anything like that. Not no. in any of these other liberal politicians that are out here trying to <laughs> fucking AOC. You know, yeah. Like, you know, it's just it's just fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not even speaking from a place of privilege. I'm speaking from a place of like. The the poorest people in this community, like right. that's not doing nothing for nobody. Fuck no, mm-hmm. it's not. You know, you get a couple. Uh, you get some groceries, get a couple gallons of Tampico, and you're out of fucking money. I'm dead. <laughs> Don't buy no Tampico yeah, with you, that stimulus. You, you, two two trips to Vallarta and all your money. <laughs> <in there. laughs> yeah. All it took was all it take is one trip to Mercado Latino, man. Yeah. And all that money is gone. Yeah, yeah. Fourteen hundred down the drain. I will say too, like yeah, kind of, like I was saying before, um, if the, if if you just wanted to use that fourteen hundred to just do something for your mental health, whether that's just like if you if you're privileged enough to do that, you know, just a trip to um, stay in a freaking Airbnb in L.A. or something like that, like use that because you're gonna feel so much better um, after that. Because I feel like I feel like a lot of times I was talking to my. Uh, to my um my uncle in law the other day, not my uncle in law, sorry, my um, it's my what what would that be called? Your aunt's, your aunt's uh, husband. Uh, That's not an in law, is it? It's an in law. Okay, yeah, I was just I was just making sure. You I said wasn't an uncle in law. Sure. I ain't never heard that shit before. I, I just didn't know what to call him, you know, because Keith he, over here making shit up. <laughs> but my everybody uh, give it up for Keith. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie gonna be the one at the funeral hating. <laughs> one time on the podcast, he made up work called Uncle in Law. <laughs> they gonna they gonna uh, they gonna do, do the viewing. I'm like, man, fuck Keith. <laughs> oh dang, uh, wouldn't that would be crazy? Is like they over they do the viewing. They're like, Keith got me pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, the whole room gonna be like, <gasps> "Who's gonna take care of the baby?" <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, but no, what I was saying it was, um, 
I was talking to him and and he was saying that um, like he's at a point in his life where he just wants to live life now. Like right. he doesn't want to have, um, you know, he doesn't want to get till he's like 70 years old and just felt like he worked every day of his life. So I'm just saying like for all of y'all out there, if you if you have that privilege of just using that money to just do something that makes you feel good, then do it. If you if you use that money to take a girl on a date because you haven't been on a date in a year or something like that, Man. make it happen. Go take a girl to get some tacos. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. The, the little conveniences people are losing out on. Mm-hmm. It take it. Look, first of all, let's be clear to even have a girlfriend like that. You're going to be spending more money even if you don't realize it. Yeah. Like be just based on the fact that you know, as a man, you used to paying for shit. You take women out, you used mm-hmm. to paying for stuff. And imagine if you go to dinner multiple times, that's 25, 37, mm-hmm. 80, 40. You spending money all the time. Yeah. You can't you don't have that that leisure when you broke. Mm-hmm. If all you got is dick, right? Let's say that you got a girlfriend and then you went broke and all you got is dick and your dick ain't even that good. Man, that relationship going in, bro. Yeah. If all you got to offer her is weak dick, now it's over. That's why I encourage people to get self-help books. Yeah. If it's a dick, if it's a self-help book that can make your dick a little bit stronger, your dick game a little bit stronger, <laughs> then you should do that. It's probably only $25 or something. <laughs> can you imagine that? If you lose your job, you ain't got no money, and then she'd be like, girl, I don't know what happened, but ever since he lost his job. <laughs> that nigga been blowing my back out. <laughs> I had to call off a of work today. <laughs> you know, the, the crazy part is, and... um. This goes back to that that quote that uh, Warren Buffett had about like communication and how and how um, if you communicate just fractionally better, you will be um, you will be able to make more money. True. But I think like there is different facets of our lives that um, if we just increased one or two percent, like we would yeah. just be a more successful person. Like even yeah. even for us, like I figured out um, um on the podcast just to communicate my ideas in a more efficient way without using different um, likes and ums as often. And I'm still working on those things, but just that alone makes the podcast more listenable. True. Mm -hmm. True. Especially from the the listeners experience Mm -hmm. for sure. All right. Switching gears. Can bad sex end a relationship? This is a very, uh, it's only a touchy subject, but it's just something people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really have numbers on it or anything because people just don't mention this. But mm-hmm. we live in a real world here and these are real world issues. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> can bad sex end a relationship? A new study claims it actually can. As anyone who's ever joined, who's ever gone through a breakup, had a huge had a friend go through a breakup, even watched a breakup on TV, can attest to there are plenty of reasons to end a romantic relationship. Of course, there are popular ones we're hearing about all like cheating, lying, long distance, etc. But there are some reasons for breaking up that we aren't hearing quite as often. And for example, a new survey of 2000 adults has found that wait for it, bad sex in a relationship could actually cause a breakup. Uh, 60% to be exact, well, so hold on. In fact, the majority, 60% to be exact, the respondents in the survey conducted by a poll, uh, a poll admitted that having sex for the first time with a new partner is less than awesome. And if it, if that wasn't comforting enough, um, uh, an even larger majority, 71% agreed that, that bad sex didn't necessarily mean the end of the road for that relationship. That being said, even if the first few times aren't quite ideal, the hope is that sex will improve after that. 
it it's when the sex doesn't improve after those first initial encounters that we have a problem. So how many times is too many times when it comes to bad sex? Well, the study found that f- after 4.5 bad sexual encounters, people tend to break up. Mm. Damn. What is like half a sex? Is that just head? I don't know. Oh. I guess the five, the 4.5 is must be head because I think <laughs> two blowjobs <laughs> equal sex. <laughs> Oh man! I assume two blowjobs equal uh, sexual intercourse. Apparently, according to the to the study. Oh, ladies, if you get had two times, you're no longer a virgin. So, right, just so you know, right, that Virgin Mary shit is over. (laughs) No, man. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We talked about we talked about how just people in general, like the expectations for men, women, etc., and. Like, look, man, every time you give a woman weak dick, if it's your wife or your girlfriend or whoever, and it's not that great, they might let it go. But if you if you keep doing that now, they're starting to think about that dude that had their legs shaking in Las Vegas a couple yeah. years ago before you met him. Yeah. Women, women are not going to communicate <clears throat> this shit. But when if you you could be a good dude, you could be a good man, an honest human being, a good person. But if your dick don't match you, they'll leave you straight up. Yeah. Yeah, it's only because it's just depressing for them. Mm-hmm. They're not going to stick around with a dude with weak dick, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's almost like a dude that's with a woman he likes a lot. She's awesome, but she don't give head. Mm-hmm. How many times are you going to keep going without head before you just tired of it? You're going to find somebody else that will. Every you time some- you don't give, ladies, every time you don't give a man head and you do it on purpose because I don't feel like doing it or whatever, he's thinking about um uh Tina the sperm cleaner and sperm cleaner. and she was blowing his socks off <laughs> before you met him right mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you think you're God's gift to him because you're so pretty and you're so smart and special mm-hmm. well guess what the girl that gave him the sex of his life was not nearly as attractive as you mm-hmm. but she fucked the shit out of him and now here you come bringing your raggedy blowjobs out here yeah. or your no blowjob giving ass out a here weak vagina yeah and then now it, it's just like look i just think you the, the moral of the story is, is you shouldn't be with nobody if you're not giving 100% of yourself. What's the point? Yeah. Now, now, look, honestly, look, we work a lot. We get tired. And, you know, it can't affect your sexual performance. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but get some sleep, man. Do what you got to do. And, <laughs> get some sleep. And get back on that pussy, man. <laughs> you got no choice. Okay, look, for example, it's it's bad how we don't talk about things like this. And then that's what ends up breaking up relationships or breaking up all kinds of stuff. Like we never talked about things like finances in high school, we, mm-hmm. you know, especially like in the econ or economics or whatnot. Yeah. But why aren't we talking about building credit? Why aren't we talking about ownership? Why aren't we talking about entrepreneurship in high school? Nobody does. Nobody teaches you for the real world. Part of the real world is finances, sex, mental health, uh, physical health. But a lot of this shit is not talked about. Dang. What if they had a class on how to make a girl come? They need to because most women don't get orgasms. That's crazy. So it's like. <clears throat> it, 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 oh, go, go ahead. ahead. My bad. No, all all I'm going to say is it's a bunch of dudes out here, including myself for many years and many times in my life, that you think that you really putting in work on girls. But they not they not really having orgasms, bro. Mm-hmm. A lot of women are a lot of women spend too much time defending your ego because your dick was like, I, right. it was okay. Mm-hmm. But you out here really thinking you just like 
really doing something. The crazy part is like imagine as a man, <clears throat> like um how it would feel if you had a whole sexual exchange <clears throat> or you had a whole sexual intercourse and you just didn't come at the end. Dang, they all oh, that probably make a woman feel crazy. I it just I'm just I'm just talking about from a man's perspective, not not from a woman's perspective. Well, most from, times you don't come. From a, a woman. From one, right, I'm talking right. about as a man. Like right, if right. the roles were reversed. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You as, basically took on their experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you just do like 50 strokes and then you're just like, all right, cool. That would just feel, I, I I don't even know how that would feel. That would feel strange to me. It's like pointless to even have sex at that yeah. point. So that's why, you know, man, you got to take care of your business. Yeah. You really yeah. got no choice. Mm-hmm. Like and it, and I think it makes it easier for you too, man. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you're the type of guy that you respect women, you making her you know have come and orgasms or whatnot, mm-hmm. and you can financially provide well for yourself and all of these things, then it's gonna make your life a lot easier. Yeah. Because you if you doing one without the other, let's say you giving your girl burning desire crazy orgasms, she's shaking, but you ain't got no money. <laughs> At that point, she's pretty much paying for dick. Yeah. She's gonna get tired of that because women. That's a deal. That's a deal breaker for most women. Mm-hmm. And then there were some women. I, I was on some podcast. They said the best dick is broke dick. Dudes with Ooh, no money. Saying some toxic stuff. They just said toxic stuff though. Yeah. So it, that's not a representation of all women. <laughs> I think the average woman will walk away regardless if the dick is good. If the yeah. motherfuckers just don't got no money at all. Yeah. She's gonna leave that guy. Yeah. I feel like I feel like <laughs> sex is a little bit sexist in the sense to where like. Mm-hmm. It's always on the like like I think Andrew Schultz said this. He was just basically saying like if a woman comes in two minutes, no one's disappointed. Mm. You know, so that that's a whole thing. But I think just the the whole the whole idea is built around like first you pleasure the woman, and then um, after that you could you know pleasure your own self. It's not like the the other way around, which is okay. I'm just fine with. It. I'm just like just making an observation. Yeah, but I wonder how many men would be okay like after they have sex, they really think they really killed it. And then she just bust out the vibrator after that. That'd be crazy. They just bust that motherfucker right out. <laughs> <laughs> he in there taking a shower. I saw he here. That'd be crazy. And then he go home and give her a call. And then she still got. <laughs> if 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 you if you have sex with a chick and she got the vibrator on herself for that long, then just like tell her, hey, look, it's been a good time. Um, but. <laughs> But that that was my point going back to the the previous conversation. Yeah. Um you could you can learn how to do better. Uh, I think that's to me um in kind of going back to that idea I said about communication and being a better communicator. Like um we don't realize how we can be just overall you can be a better <coughs> husband if you're a person that's just giving weak dick right now. You can be 30 times better husband if you just start pleasing your woman, you know, just a little bit more or not coming before she is, you know yeah, what I mean? Communicate this shit. Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things like I feel like if you if you not if you if you do have weak dick and you and you not actually going out there and learning how to to please your woman better, even <laughs> if it comes down to like Charlemagne was saying about like how, how we learn how to eat. Um, vagina yeah. or whatever even if it's like just stuff like that even taking that initiative um shows like you know i guess how great of a person he well, is when it comes to like learning stuff like well, that. well <clears throat> let's be honest here um when you look up the stock when you basically get it in the stock market mm-hmm. you do research right yeah 
when you go and you, let's say you want to embark on a weight loss journey and you're looking at different exercises, you do research, right? Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you do research on how to have sex? Why wouldn't you? It's lazy to me if you don't. Just like at least it's books out there. And I'm not saying this as some sex expert. I'm mm-hmm. saying this as a guy that's given out weak dick many times. Yeah. And and I'm just being real. Yeah. Um, and it and it's not it's not a good feeling. Like cause the thing about it is, is I actually care about women's uh what do you call it? I actually care about a woman's experience. Yeah. So being as I actually care, you know, that's important. Yeah. At least she'll lead that situation, you know, with a good, you know, experience. I think um, it happens a lot, too, on the women's side. I think they yeah. they just think that just because they have a vagina, that is that's that's all you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they throw they be throwing that weak pussy back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> throwing it. Remember that song? Throw that ass in a circle. Yeah. Throw that ass in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, but there's that, man. It's, at the end of the day, the things that you don't consider could be the same things that end a decent relationship. You guys could love the same movies and you mm-hmm. have the same hobbies and have a good... But if you aren't putting it down the way you should... It it kind of goes... Uh, I forget what... We were talking about money. Um, and it, this, this, this thing is similar to that. Like... Um, Weak dick exacerbates other issues. Exacerbates. Right? Yeah. You said it. Exacerbates. Exacerbates. It's exacerbates. Exacer? E-X-X. E-X-X-E. I can't remember exactly how it's spelled. Exacerbates. Mm-hmm. Exacerbates. Exacerbates. <laughs> it exacerbates different issues that are going on in um, in your in your relationship. Right. So, you know, if you have a lack of communication, <laughs> if you argue a lot, if you um, if one of your partners is lazy, whatever, um, it's one of those things that, you know, if, if she's not getting pleasure sexually or vice versa, right, then the the issues in those relationships are going to start being heightened. So. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And women will be mad and be like, you don't even fuck me right. Yep. The whole time they never they they, they ain't never said it. They never said it. They mm-hmm. never they never women there's a lot of things women will never communicate. They will yeah. just women have this fear of destroying a man's ego to the point to where they got they be lying, mm-hmm. making all them sex noises and you ain't really doing. It's probably some dude that ain't got he probably got about he he got like negative dick. Negative what's a negative dick? Negative dick is not big. So <laughs> he think he's killing that shit and she's mm-hmm. making all these noises and all she's doing is stroking this guy's ego when she should be like really communicating with him. Mm-hmm. And then him, a man, you can't be so delusional that you think that you're just this fucking cockmaster. Mm-hmm. And then now your ego's all broken when she gets mad and tells you that your dick is whack. Yeah. You just gotta be self aware, man. That is heartbreaking though. I bet it's heartbreaking, but you broke her own heart. You gotta, you gotta, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> we talked about that before. Sometimes you gotta hear those harsh realities to yeah. to make you step your game up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the 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 truth is only un, the truth is only convenient when you're not used to it. Yeah, I think too that there's no way, there's no right way to say certain things, right? So I mean, imagine if that's the issue in your relationship. You're just like, <coughs> I have been married to my husband for a while, and I'm never. I never came before. I've never had an orgasm. Imagine, like, just think about the most, the most, uh, like, the softest way to present that idea, right? Right. 
it may be like, hey, honey, um, I just wanted to let you know I had I haven't really been pleasured in a while. And I got you this book in order to learn how to, you know, um, pleasure me in a better way. Right. That's still going to break his heart. Oh, yeah. He'll so, be mad. Yeah. So even if you say like, hey, honey, I think you should learn how to give better dick. That's still going. It's still going to hit. So basically what I'm saying is you just got to say it. Yeah, you got no choice. Mm-hmm. You got no choice because this was going to happen. Like you mentioned, the situation, whether it's financially or bad in bed, is going to exacerbate the overall situ- the overall like status of the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And women are looking for a way to get out the door. For all the women listening to this podcast, how many times have you heard one of your homegirls say, like, I'm just trying to find a way to break up with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of girls are trying to look for reasons to break up with him. Yeah. And then guess what happens? Once they break up with this dude, they might hit a dude up that they was dealing with maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and they hit him up and that dude fucks the shit out of mm-hmm. her. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. Women know if women if women get a dude that had good dick and then they break up, they're going to go fuck that dude as soon as possible because they've been getting bad sex the whole time. Yeah. It sucks. And and even had these conversations for people that's just like, this is just unreal. I don't, it just doesn't make sense what you guys are saying. All right. Just listen very closely to your friends and and look at the real conversations they're having. Like this is the real world. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's that. Uh, switching gears. Uh, what I've noticed, man, is in regards to podcasting, um, a lot of people. I won't say they fail in podcasts, but they do, based on the fact that um, they can be kind of disingenuous at times. Mm-hmm. So let me see here. Where is it at? Uh, okay it's basically the question is why do uh why do podcasts fail let me see why do where the fuck did it go that's weird i had this shit pulled up and then it uh why do podcasts fails because niggas can't find articles <clears throat> all right it says most podcasts fail because podcasters sabotage themselves they make the show they make the show they think they should make instead of the show they want to make. Instead of going with their gut, a podcaster might make the show they think they sh- that they should make instead of the one <clears throat> they want to make. I don't know. They they kind of jumbled this shit. Mm-hmm. But look, the, basically, it's being disingenuous. Everybody listen to this podcast. I know we fuck around. We crack jokes. All that shit. But here's the deal, man. I think the only reason why you tune in every week is because you feel like we're telling you the truth and you feel like we're being genuine to our character. And that is the only reason why people tune in. Mm-hmm. And you can, it's a huge fucking deal breaker when you do things that are contradict, like they're, they contradict who you really are. Mm-hmm. And that's when people tune out. People tune out when you don't get into the topics and you bullshit and you fuck around the whole time and you talk about nothing. Mm-hmm. When you have zero substance. We may crack jokes, but we try to also engage. And if we have information, we want you to learn. Mm-hmm. But it, what happens is, is people get lost in the sauce. They try to act like this. They try to act like this interesting person. It's not about acting interesting. Be yourself. If you're not interesting, then fuck it. You're not interesting. But if you are, then you are. That yeah. it, it is literally that simple. Do not ever start a podcast if your objective is not to be yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to be yourself and you're like, hey, what's up, y'all? It's D to the double O G. Like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. That's not who you are, man. Mm-hmm. That's what you've heard on TV. That's what you've heard rappers do. That's what you've heard these other personalities do. And you're just basically replicating that to get attention. And it's lame and it's whack. 
and people aren't going to tell you that shit, but that's why they tune out. Yeah, I think I think um, what I hear in that statement is there are a bunch of podcasters doing impersonations. There you go. So you know, or have you ever seen like a, a YouTube video or Instagram, a comedic video where um, there'll be a there'll be a guy impersonating Eminem. There'll be right. a guy, guy yeah. impersonating Kendrick Lamar. And basically, these guys aren't as aren't as successful as Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, or whatever, just because they are not. They're just doing an impersonation. They're they're right. not actually honing in on the skill that it takes to be a Kendrick uh, Eminem. They're right. not making these songs from scratch. There they, you go. You know, they don't have that same level of skill. They're just replicating what they've heard before. Right. So the same thing goes with podcasting. I think there's a lot of people out there that are. Um, they're listening to Joe Budden. They're listening to Brilliant Idiots. They're listening to uh, Horrible Decisions and all these podcasts. And they're doing what they think these other people are doing. So if right. you if you hear Joe Budden's podcast, you may think that they're just laughing and giggling the whole time. And they have no idea what they're talking about. They're just having a casual conversation. And to... I guess like to the naked eye, that's what it looks like. But in reality, they're very informed on the music industry. They're very informed on different artists. And they have Joe Budden has, you know, 20 plus years of experience in music. And um, Rory also has uh, has had a job at Sony and Parks as an engineer and Maul, you know, his brother and, you know, growing up around the whole Rockefeller era and stuff like that. So they are very in tune with with music and they have relationships with these people. But if you're just a casual a podcaster from freaking Fresno or Bakersfield or whatever, and you try to replicate that same thing, yeah. you're only doing an impersonation of what they're doing and you're doing it not at the same skill level. So right. basically I say to anybody out there, you just got to try to, you can, you can use bits and pieces of, you can use the same format as Joe Budden or Brilliant Idiots or Horrible Decisions. If you do want to talk about sex, you could do that. But the biggest thing that you can do is just try to be honest to your own brand because we're all different people. You right. know, me and Eddie, Eddie works a certain profession. Um, he work, he, He's a truck driver and me, you know, I'm just like a freelance um, filmmaker and stuff like that. So that's our perspective on the world. Right. You can't take the Joe Budden's podcast experience. If you, if you're just a, a local, if you work at uh, a Walmart in Bakersfield, California, and you try to replicate that same formula no, as, you know, a, a hip hop um, connoisseurs or aficionados or whatever the case may be, you can't replicate that because that's not your experience. You didn't right. grow up like these people and you don't have the same job titles as these people. So the best thing you can do, you can make the best, most interesting podcast in the world about your experience working at Walmart in whatever you like to do outside of that, whether your your interest is movies or whatever, but you right. just have to speak from that experience. Yeah. I think the most interesting thing about podcasts is when you personalize it. Like, yeah. When it's your like you could have motivations from other podcasts say, hey, I like how they did that. And you, and you could actually not replicate that exactly, but your own spin of that on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like I per- I may I make a, I say a lot of personal things, but I say that not just to say that, but I'm human. I'm not I never want to come at come at like anyone as I'm above them. I'm right there where you are. Mm-hmm. I talked about things that don't put me in the best light, you know, uh, talking about motherfucking you know, thinking you're on top of the world and then the repo man comes and takes your car and you watching the motherfucker drive off with your car. Mm-hmm. 
that's an embarrassing moment. Mm-hmm. But I don't mind sharing that moment because I know a lot of y'all went through the same shit. Mm-hmm. I talk about giving women weak dick. I've done that. I know mm-hmm. a lot of y'all then gave some weak dick too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. This is just shit that you got to talk about. Not only not only to get it off your chest, but to let people know like, yo, like it's this is a human to human interaction here. Mm-hmm. Like I'm coming from I'm coming from the same place as you. The only difference is, is, is I may have the balls to talk about it. A lot of people do not have the balls to talk about it. Yeah. Just trying to normalize being transparent. Right. You know what I mean? And then like people, what we realized about, um, excuse me, branding is that uh, as consumers of content, they want to invest in people. Yeah. You know, we, we, we like certain people because we appreciate their journey or we appreciate their story. Um, you know, when we started to grow and be fans of Nipsey Hussle, it was like the music was dope, but also like the messaging behind the music, always talking about, you know, owning ownership and um, just elevating and businesses and stuff like that, even before he was really moving, moving like that. And once you start to see him really start buying up properties and opening up uh, programs and stuff that kind of went along with the messaging he had years and years ago, um, it just makes you appreciate them more. So for us, you know, we talk about mental health, being transparent, crying at funerals, giving weak dick, all these things. Um, it's something that, you know, as a listener, you'd be like, yo, I, I, I've i had the same experience and I can appreciate someone speaking so candidly about that. Right. Yeah, it, definitely, man. Um, look here, man. Uh, I don't want to beat the same topic over and over, but if you're going to start a podcast, I support you. More power to you. Just make sure the shit you're doing. Look, look here. If you have to dilute your voice, don't even start a fucking podcast because you're doing a disservice to everyone that's listening to you. Yeah. Bottom line. It wouldn't matter to me if whatever happened. If I was my thing is, let's say in the coming years I get married. Right. I'm not going to change the shit I say on this podcast because I'm fucking married or because I have a girlfriend or because of whatever. Like whatever goes on, I have to speak my truth and I have to do it. And if people have a problem with that, then it is going to have a problem Mm -hmm. because it takes away from you getting your message across to the people listening to the content. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, like we've this is 156. Mm -hmm. So for 156 weeks, you've had content from a Trucker's Mind podcast. Mm -hmm. And each week we've I don't even know. I can't even tell you what we've done different. We just had different like different outlooks on different topics. Mm hmm. But like none of this shit is scripted. It's literally coming from my brain right now. Yeah. And I got a 36 year old brain and I'm I try- got a 36 trying my brain. fucking best. But you know what? <laughs> it's it's my absolute pleasure to do this. I love doing this. I want to die doing this. This is mm-hmm. this is definitely something uh, that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a burning desire for podcasting, there's really no point to even start it. Yeah. One thing, too, um, <clears throat> I know of a podcast personally where uh, and I don't want to give too much away because, you know, I don't really want to put nobody out there like that. But right, I know right. of a podcast personally where their whole <clears throat> their whole, um, I guess, dynamic is based off of a lie. So mm. they can't even answer certain questions honestly 
because mm. the whole podcast is based off of a lie. Right. And, you know, I, like I said, I can't say too much about these people, but right, I just right, know right. in their personal lives, their relationship dynamic is different than what they display on the podcast. Right. And if that's the basis of your podcast, you you done. Yeah. People could look, people could sense when you're disingenuous. Like there's just this sense, even the fakest person, when they listen to somebody talk and they actually enjoy the content. I've had people tell me, hey, man, I, I like your podcast. And these are people that I felt didn't even like me. And I was like, hey, I appreciate that, mm-hmm. man. Thank you. I'm mm-hmm. not looking for applause and whatnot, but I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's it's basically because they get a sense that I'm telling the truth mm-hmm. and I'm being transparent. And I think that's what attracts people. But when you start a podcast and you got fucking freaking frack over here mm-hmm. and they're full of shit. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. There's this like this robotic lack of um lack of what do you call it? Like a lack of a, of a like real relationship. Mm-hmm. Like me and Keith go back a long time. His older brother is my best friend. I've known Keith since he was like fucking what eight or some mm-hmm. shit like that. Yeah. So me and Keith have a real personal relationship that goes back a very long time ago. What mm-hmm. twenty fucking years ago? Mm-hmm. So that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people, man. They could even be some people could be friends for a long time and still be full of shit. Yeah. So it's one of those days, man. Mm-hmm. But yeah. All right, man. Switching gears. <laughs> uh, Stacy Dash apologizes for her political beliefs. All right. Let me go bust that article out. As we all know, uh, Stacy Dash is Stacy Dash. Is, she's still a good. Huh? Yeah, Stacy Dash is hot. Um, Stacey Dash apologizes for a political past. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes. Dash claimed that Fox cast her as an angry black woman. Actress and former Fox News pundit Stacey Dash is falling on her sword by denouncing Donald Trump and distancing herself from the conservative network. During an interview with Daily Mail on Wednesday, Dash claimed the right wing focused outlet casted her as an angry black woman. There are some things, man, she got some nice breasts. There are some things <laughs> that I am sorry for. Things that I did say that I should have not have not have said them the way I said them, she said. Uh, Dash claimed that her anger led to her mistakes. I realized in 2016 that anger is unsustainable and it will destroy you. I made a lot of mistakes because of that anger, Dash said. There, is, there are things that I'm sorry for, things that I did say that I should have not said them the way I said them. They were very arrogant, prideful, and angry. And that's who Stacy was, but that's not who Stacy is now. Stacy's someone who is compassionate, who who has compassion, empathy, etc. Okay, here's my thing. <clears throat> I believe people can change, right? But I didn't really wasn't hell bent on judging her. Yeah, you know, in the first fucking place because she supported Trump. I'm like, I wasn't trying to cancel Stacy Dash because she supported Trump. I never yeah. that was never my thing. But here's the problem. I think it somewhat could be disingenuous, too, because now that Trump's not president anymore, it's not politically correct or it's not socially acceptable to be a supporting Trump now because mm-hmm. you're an actress. And you know that in, in, in regards to Hollywood or roles, that's a very liberal job. Yeah, it's very liberal job. So you wanted to distance yourself just to make sure you had work. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I personally think that. Um you know, you got some people that are conservative that are in Hollywood, but not very many. It's not mainly, very out and open with it. No, nah, it's it's predominantly very liberal. And mm-hmm. and I think Stacey Dash knows that 
you know, since Trump ain't president no more, she want to distance herself to make the liberal <laughs> actors and directors and writers and make everyone feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. She has to denounce everything she supported. Yeah. So two things could be true. Could she have changed and this and that? Yeah, that's that's true. But could she also be full of shit and is just pandering to liberals that she works with in order to have a better relationship? I think that's also true. Yeah, but I think sometimes the biggest issue that a lot of people have with these kind of statements is that we just assume everybody we know believes what we believe. Right. And that's not that's not fair to nobody out there. So mm-hmm. if, if Stacey Dash, if she genuinely in her heart feels like she has more conservative values, then good for her. She right. can live her life. I don't I don't think I um, I don't now in 2021 don't put so much effort into um, trying to control what people Think or who they should vote for and right. stuff like that. Because yeah. what I realize is that Stacey Dash probably makes a lot more money than I do. So if she if she is only voting based off of the fact that she wants to retain more of her money, she doesn't want to pay more uh, pay more taxes or something like that. Then cool. Because in reality, we're all voting for our own interests anyway. Facts. You know, a lot of liberals are voting for certain things because they're poor and they want yep. more government assistance. They want food stamps. They want you know, sandwiches. yeah, they want potholes fixed on the street and all this kind of stuff. Um, and if you and if you have more money, you may want to retain all of that money. You may want if you're in a, if you imagine you're working in the oil fields, you may want more oil to be dug out of the ground. So, you know, you're going to vote. You want to get dug out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're going to you're going to vote. You're going to vote like that. So for me, like, you know, I, I don't even I don't even judge people in that aspect anymore. I judge I start to more judge people on like just a just a human being level like are you a decent person do you are are you nice um do you got good pussy <laughs> yeah because conservative pussy i don't know this way this way. oh man this way. all right go ahead man <laughs> <laughs> sound like a lullaby uh, all right um but yeah, that's my thing. As far as Stacey Dash kind of changing her stance on it, you know, I could, it, like you said, it could be one of those things where she's just trying to save face now because she wants to get back into acting or something like that. Maybe the money is, money is uh, drying up right now. Um, but it's just like I think, like I said before, like I just start to not care about people's political views. But then, you, but you know, because to me, nothing is surprising. Like. I don't think this will happen, but if Kevin Hart came out and said like that he is um, he's voting for Republicans next next election, it wouldn't even be surprising to me. And I wouldn't have any opinion about him. That's just who he voted for. So, yeah, I just I just think that we we put our expectations on people. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest problems. So due to due to her displaying her conservative views and him not being president anymore, and her working and, and she's taking a role actually uh it's like Roe versus wade or whatever mm-hmm. like the, the the conversation of the uh abortion yeah which to me that whole conversation is more of a liberal mm-hmm. definitely more of a liberal conversation mm-hmm. now you know conservatives and liberals have different views on that but if she's deep in that role and hollywood is very liberal i could see why you know her playing in roles you know it would make sense for her to kind of distance herself from that. Yeah. Why all of a sudden, all of a sudden you doing that? It's a bit, bit yeah, like you said, it could be a business thing to right. where they told her to come out and say that because some people will boycott movies because of the people mm-hmm. in there, which right. is kind of nonsense, but yeah. You know, and let, unless they're doing just some heinous crime, 
that makes sense. But people be trying to boycott somebody just because they voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, that's too much. I just recently I seen that um uh what's his name uh oh fuck uh man uh, the uh, comedian just came back Chris um. Uh, Chris D'Elia. Chris D'Elia. Mm-hmm. Chris D'Elia just started resurfacing. Mm-hmm. He just released a podcast after like probably almost a year or some mm-hmm. shit. And he popped up. He had a kid. He had a son and whatnot. It's like he's making his way back real slow. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just kind of like slowly but surely. And people going to forget. It's not even going to. It's, it's yeah. going to be people that remember. And it might be people trying to boycott outside of his shows or or something like that, but yeah. for the most part, people gonna forget. They just gonna enjoy the show, and it ne- they never really proved anything that he did anything. Yeah, I guess there was supposedly some girls that said I was underage, and he tried to talk to me or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And it's like nothing materialized. There was nothing really that like substantiated what was really going on. Yeah. So I mean, I think he can make a comeback. Mm-hmm. You know, and here's the thing, though. I I think. Some of these, I won't say claims, but some of the stuff people are doing sometimes is if it's just way off, like Chris D'Elia tried to get my number in 2009. Yeah, it's like, get out of here. Like, get out of here, man. We can't, we can't, we got to stop paying that type of stuff attention. If it's real shit, like this dude done forced himself on somebody or something like that, okay, it don't matter when that was. That's when a motherfucker needs to go to jail. But you also have to prove it, though. You also have to prove it. That's very true. Because here's the thing. The court of public opinion will cancel you before anybody. Mm -hmm. The court of public opinion, like what's crazy is a person could get accused of something and there's no evidence. And then you'll be like, oh, I'm about to go to Chris D'Elia's show. Oh, you support you support that creep. You support Mm -hmm. that pedophile. You'd be like, excuse me. No, Mm -hmm. like he didn't. They proved nothing. Nothing happened. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is, is. you could say people will could say the same things about Michael Jackson and be listening to him. You'd be like, wait, 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 no, no, don't say that. Michael didn't do that. Yeah. Don't say that. I'm not saying he did or he didn't. I don't think they had they didn't have no evidence to really prove it. They just it. didn't, yeah. Even when that, that documentary came out, I didn't watch it, but a lot of people were like, Where where was the, where the pictures? Energy? Where is the Man. you know the Oprah, real cold card uh, evidence? And then there was a part where they caught him in a lie. Basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, something happened and certain things weren't aligned. Like he was on tour or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but then you know, the crazy thing is Oprah did it. Why would Oprah want to get involved in that? Oprah's been doing some questionable stuff recently. Yeah. And then you're one of your good friends is fucking Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Like, I mean, you didn't see what this nigga was doing? <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I have love for <laughs> Oprah as a business person and just a human being, but... um I think she she's she's had a history of doing like some like some head scratching stuff. Yeah. Um. Even you know her stance on hip hop and a lot of those things where, um, a lot of people in hip hop and just our community don't really rock with her like that. I know more. It's crazy how when you a kid, all these people that are really like on this pedestal, they just mm-hmm. turn into like. I don't know. It's weird. Like Lil Wayne was like one of them people that was like, oh man, he probably gonna be the best rapper ever mm-hmm. type shit, and now he looked like a drugged out. Zombie, yeah, he's all fucked up. He's got three dreadlocks in his head. You seen that shit? Yeah, his hair all patchy and whatnot. Yeah, mm-hmm. his 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 hair sounds. His hair looks like his face now. It's fucked up. <laughs> Him, fucking Oprah, Gail, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Imagine how people felt about OJ. OJ was like huge back in the day. Mm-hmm. He went from being OJ the football player and announcer to OJ like people only remember him for murder. Yeah, and he was a really good football player. He's a great football player. Mm-hmm. I think he was in, I don't know if he went to Hall or not. I don't know about NFL. 
Yeah, huh? I don't think he. I don't know if he went to the Hall of Fame. I'm I don't sure. know, but they put him in the Hall, but they they couldn't put his trophy up because they couldn't fit the knife in there. <laughs> this nigga's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't fit the knife in there, don't put me in there. <laughs> like, God damn it, OJ. Fuck. <laughs> right. You're not making this easier for us, OJ. <laughs> That's gonna be one of those people, and uh, you know, I don't know when he's gonna move on from this this life we live in. But that's gonna be one one person that passes away where we're gonna be like, ugh. There's gonna be some people that just just is very neutral about his death. Yeah, there's gonna be some people coming out of the left field like he chased me with a knife in 1993. <laughs> right after he had killed his wife, he chased me for three miles with a knife. You like, why the fuck are you saying this now? All of a sudden they write a book. It's like, oh, okay. I see what the fuck you did there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're no good. <laughs> All right, where's it at? Okay, there's that. All right, switching gears. Uh, recently, there was a Georgetown professor that was uh, terminated uh, based on some comments she made. All right, uh, Georgetown Georgetown law professor fired. Jeez, uh, I hate these websites. They always want you to accept those fucking cookies all the time. All right, Georgetown law professor fired after complaining about black students on Zoom. Uh, Georgetown law professor Sandra Sellers was fired after she complained about the performance of black students in a Zoom call with another professor. NBC News reports, you know what? I hate to say this. I end up having this angst every semester that a lot of my lower ones are blacks. Happens almost every semester, Sellers. Sellers can be heard saying in a clip that circulated on social media this week. It happens almost every semester. And it's like, oh, come on. You know, we get some really good ones. But there, but there are usually are some of them that just plain at the bottom. It drives me crazy. Sellers, who was speaking with another faculty member, David Baston, believed it was private conversation. The Georgetown Black Law Students Association said that Sellers was talking about the only black student, student, singular, not plural, in her class. And the organization called on her to resign. Baston is also being fired upon to share a public apology for his failure to adequately condemn what Sellers said. We demand nothing short of the immediate termination of Sellers as adjunct professor at Georgetown University Law Center. Not suspension, not an investigation, reads uh, the BLSA statement. The university must take swift and definitive action in the face of blatant and shameless racism. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the thing, man. I, I know that it gets tired. We get tired of having these conversations about, you know, racism and people making statements and blah, 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 blah. But here's the thing. If I see seven white guys, right, and they're just minding their business, you know, they're not bothering anybody, they're not doing anything. And then two of the seven white guys are just acting like complete fools, just doing dumb shit, making loud noises, hitting on the door, doing wild stuff. Mm hmm. I'm not going to generalize all seven of those white guys mm -hmm. because I see two white dudes doing some dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. You get what I'm trying to paint here? Yeah. So the problem is, is like to make a generalization like that and you bring in all these students and you, you say, oh, they're just the lowest in the class and blah, blah, blah. And there was one student in the fucking class. That's so trash. That you got to realize that a lot of people's generalizations are based on their personal beliefs prior to them even stepping in the classroom. Even if you're a good student, let's say she had she had nine extremely um, like 
I guess, very smart mm-hmm. black students, mm-hmm. right? And they all did good. She mm-hmm. would acknowledge that, and be like, oh, okay, good. But then she gets that one black student that's just not doing his job, being whole, terrible. Yeah. She made a whole bunch of black people look like under under uh, uh, underperformers. Yeah. Based on that, I just think that what it is is sometimes your expectations and your um, your your racism, I guess you can say, it will allow you to generalize people, mm-hmm. and this can this can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, oh man. Um, you know, Mexicans are like this or white people are like this or Japanese people. All they do is this. And at the end of the day, when you are doing that, the problem is you, not the fucking student. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, me speaking from a person that has been to college and graduated, I can tell you firsthand that there's a lot of average white people that are in college. <laughs> And my GPA was higher than a lot of average white people in college. So there's there, there's no blanket statement that right. can be said about any race in college. Right. It can be said that, you know, a lot of times when um, black people get accepted that their GPAs might be a little bit lower. But that's that doesn't necessarily reflect on how intelligent they are. Right. Because right. we we come from. You know, the, we talked about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and right. it's a lot of times where black people going to or black kids are going to school hungry, and yeah. they're dealing with stresses at home and stuff like that. So, you know, they're not really ha- they don't really have the the mental capacity to do their homework and stuff like that. So, that's you know one thing that that can reflect on the grades, but just just on a person to person level. Um, the fact that she just made this statement about a singular black person is just completely disrespectful to um, to our community. Because, like I said, I know a lot of black people that have much better grades than like the white people in there. And, and even me, I've been I've been in classes where I've gotten an A and there was people that I know personally that was like, hey, what'd you get on this test? And I'm like, oh, I got an A. And I'm like, oh, I got like a I got like a C plus or I got a B. And I'd be like, oh, that's cool. And. No one is ever disrespecting that person. Like she would sure. never go in there and be like, "Man, it's just a lot of average white people." <laughs> it's just I don't know what it is. Every semester, I just get so anxious because it's a lot of sorry ass white people in my class. <laughs> so, but yeah, that that, that's my thing. I'm just like, it it just it's it's annoying because when um when we try to get ahead in life, and even it's it's you're successful. As a black man, if you in Georgetown and you in law school, right, right, you should be excited and you should be as as a person. If you do care about our community enough to be anxious by someone failing your class, you should do enough to try to help that person because yeah. it's not easy to get in Georgetown and it's not easy to be a black a black person in any law school across America. Mm-hmm. So rather than like trying to be disrespectful towards that person, figure out what's going on. Maybe it's maybe they're failing because they're not passionate about law. Maybe they want to be a sportscaster or something like that, but they just stuck in there because of, you know, their parents want them to be there. And like I said before, it's not easy to get in there. So just to try to demean a black person like that, or try to demean a black community by demeaning a singular black person is not the right way. You know what I mean? Like try to get to the root of the problem instead of having this converse casual conversation, a disrespectful conversation with another professor. If let's say, for example, I'm a professor and I noticed that let's say I'm at an all black college. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm a black I'm at a I'm a black professor 
at an all black college. And let's be clear, white people, there are white people that do go to all black colleges. Yeah. For all those that don't know this, it's not only black people there. There's Rory white. went to one, right? I, I think he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he did. So here's the deal. Let's say I, I'm at a, I got some law, uh, you know, I, I have a law school, whatever, and mm-hmm. I'm a professor. And I got this one white student. And over the years, I've noticed that I've had like this one white student that was like struggling out of like different, you know, different years. Mm -hmm. That's going to motivate me to reach out to that student and say, hey, uh, is there anything I can help you with specifically that can help you you get on track? Mm -hmm. If I notice a trend, I'm not going to just sit there and be like, oh, these white students just can't get it together. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. It just seems right. Yeah. yeah, It don't even sound right. If you if let's say you do see a trend of someone that happens to be white or black or whatever the fuck they are. uh, How about you help them? Mm -hmm. What if what if you okay? what if there's a certain level of bias that you have being a black man that's uh, teaching black students? Who knows? Mm hmm. And that white student ain't catching They're it. Also going to audit her grades, I believe. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. I don't know if that's the proper term, but basically they're going to go back and, and look, look at all the grades. What if it. you're not grading on a curve for that black student? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if you like A plus, A plus, A plus on black? That's B for black. Yeah, B for black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah. at the end of the day, if you if you notice a, 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 a not a trend, but um, what do you call it? A cycle of a certain type of student, Asian or black or white, whatever the fuck mm-hmm. they are. You don't realize, like, as a black man, if there's 20 other black men and walk into a room, mm-hmm. right, and the whole class is black, and let's say me and Keith are professors, and we teach them and we do things by the book, but us being black men, how we communicate, it might be some things that that one fucking white student misses. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It might be some shit that he's missing because the way we communicate as black men, he may not catch it. Imagine being one black student and the whole fucking class is white and you're talking and blah, 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 blah. What if he's missing something? Who knows? Mm -hmm. I know. But people will say, well, we all speak English, so everybody should get it. Who fucking knows? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think. Go ahead. I think, too, one of the biggest points that. I think a lot of people aren't even thinking about is that people fail classes. Yeah, it is. I happens. failed a lot of classes, and that doesn't mean I'm dumb or I'm just a black kid in class. That class that's just there. <clears throat> is this a bad season? Yeah, it's a bad season. Yeah, that's a <laughs> and I might be a little bit lazy that semester. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. I noticed like when I went to BC or Bakersfield College for all the, those that ain't from here. Mm-hmm. When I went to a junior college, man, it, I spent a lot of time looking for parties and trying to get with girls and yeah. shit and I was distracted and mm-hmm. you know and look I may have not been given my best at times when I did apply myself it was cool but the thing about it is is I could have been a statistic the teacher that was white could have been like god why don't they why don't these black students just apply themselves mm-hmm. well I'm too I'm too um what do you call it I'm too distracted trying to get some pussy and um trying to figure out where the parties are mm-hmm. I'm it's not that I'm dumb Mm-hmm. I'm not formally educated like with college, but a lot of people that I know with degrees, like when it comes to having certain conversations, I'm just a little more enlightened than they are. Mm-hmm. It's like, yo, where'd you get your degree? Like mm-hmm. you need to fucking keep your receipt. Yeah. <laughs> you know All degrees aren't created equal. No, they're not. Mm-hmm. No, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Even even for her to be, probably be as smart as she is, like for her to, to think do, that it's yeah. okay to have that conversation. Right. Over the internet. Like, if right. you want to be racist, at least be privately racist. At least go out. At least go out on the fucking property of the yard and do it. 
Yeah. But what I think it is, is she got too comfortable having those conversations and she fucked up and had it over Zoom. <laughs> and even the guy, if you guys watch the video, the guy is just kind of like, eh. He's like, oh, oh, oh uh, whoa. He, he looked like, he, the, the way I would describe it, he looked as if he wanted to be like, yeah, you're right. I have a black kid in my class named DeAndre who got an F in my class right now. But right. because he knew he was on Zoom and he probably knew that there might be other people in the meeting or other people that could chime in, right. um, you know, he just kind of kept his thoughts to himself. Yeah. I think what it is is when whenever here's the problem. There's probably a bunch. Not probably there is. There's a bunch of black students that are excelling in law and things of that nature. But whenever there's someone that meets your um, the like the mental standard that you've already created for them, when they meet that standard, like not a great student, you're like, oh, yeah, they are. They just they need to get it together. Mm-hmm. And it's like so you're not paying attention to all these other black law students that actually already fucking graduated. Yeah. Facts. You just took that one straggling behind fucking black dude named DeQuante and you said, hey, look, your name's DeQuante. You'll never make it in law. Yeah. Yeah. That's generally what happens. Yo, I'm gonna keep it real. If I had a lawyer named DeQuante, I would just I would just take a uh, take a deal. (laughs) (laughs) What's your name, sir? DeQuante. (laughs) DeQuante Jenkins. Um. Can I have a different public <laughs> a different public defender, please? Uh, that's fine. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I know. I know. Somewhere in America, it was uh, maybe it was a dude that was about to go to jail, and he's like, "Look, I need a black public defender. I don't. Mm. I'm tired of getting these white public defenders. Mm. They keep trying to make me take deals." Mm-hmm. He said, "This this public defender said I should take one year. The other one said I should take a year and a half. I need to get a black man in here to help me out." Mm-hmm. And then the black dude come, you get five years. <laughs> Damn, that'd be fucked up. Yeah, Esquire DeQuante. Yeah, (laughs) shout out to DeQuante, man. (laughs) I have no idea who that is. (laughs) That was comedy. Yeah, but that's all I got on that, man. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you got anything else, Keith? Mm -mm. Hey, man, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Where we at, man? One forty-four. All right, man. Well, it looks like we're gonna be hitting the hitting the road. Um, if you made it to end of this episode, we'd like to thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to a Trucker's Mind podcast. My name is Ed McGee. I mean, oh, let's do this shit. Over. Yeah, you Hold threw on. me off. You had an extra word in you there. You fucked me up last week. You <laughs> I was me thinking up. about that. I was like, damn, I can't screw it up this time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like people like, don't come, don't come, don't come, don't come. No. <laughs> that was funny. All right. Well, if you made it to the end of this episode, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening to a Trucker's Mind podcast. I'm Eddie McGee. It's your boy, K. Fings. Get out of here. Peace.